Mentality Monsters I'm going to use the word with the Orange well Rugby team Someone press that arm Take it off Liverpool <laughs> Let's take it off the Reds and let's attach it to the Orland Rugby team OTB AM Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app Just a slight tangent on, on that <laughs> this, is a, this is far too much of a tangent Just a brief interruption can I also say one more thing on this? But uh, we also need to impose some rules. Like, we can't just have 20 minute tangents over a text. Come on. This is a refusal to consider the circumstances. I'm not going to entertain that, Joe. This conversation is not a good one, I think. Do we argue much? No. We keep them inside. They're fester. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought this was a ridiculous text until I read the top three, and then I thought, Do you know what? Oh, yeah. I'd actually debate that with you. <laughs> it is an interesting. Sorry, it's not an interesting question, but. Uh, <laughs> Let's I, make that clear. <laughs> I love the sound of a snooker referee counting up the score. Oh, welcome. Slight tangent, a triumphant return. We've been away for too long. We apologise if you're new to what this slot is. Uh, somebody texted in earlier saying, what is this slight tangent business? This is where the uh, PM team slash FM team picked through uh, talking points from the week that was. And it's a relaxed atmosphere where the conversation takes on a life of its own. Arthur O'Dea is in studio. Hello, Arthur. Hi, Joe. And especially a long break for you. You missed the last slight yeah. tangent. So I don't so know when you last... Uh, probably a week or two before then, so you're going well back. Long time. We have Mickle McCarthy. Hey, Joe. And um, Willow Callan here as well. You just call him Mickle McCarthy. Yes, I did. Stumbled over that. Michael, Mickle. Mick. Uh, I don't care. Uh, okay, we'll get to your emails first of all. A slight tangent at offtheball.com. A question for slight tangent. How will you change the toy show, Joe? Well. <laughs> I have some plans. <laughs> I've, been, <laughs> I've been thinking about it. I feel... Joe, Joe, get rid of all those kids for a start. <laughs> Never work with kids. They're not professional. Yeah. We need to get back to proper reviews. Like when Pat Kenny would say, marks out of 10. I'm far too, far too flimsy. Of late. In fairness, I never know any more about toys after the toy show anymore. But and that's, you know, that's my big. That's what I'm going to bring to the party. Yeah, more T- discipline, less kind of like kids being reunited with their fathers. <laughs> None of that. More no. discipline. None of yeah. that transparent okay. pulling of heartstrings. <laughs> this is an interesting. Guess what? He's flown doing. home. Yeah. No, he hasn't. You <laughs> <Do> the toy. <laughs> Stop crying. Stop crying. I thought we talked yeah. about this before. What do you want? We did the Skype. He's on Skype. We'll talk to him. What are your plans for the Valentine's episode? Then? Oh, I don't know. Cancel that. I have no, I've never seen the Valentine's. The last Valentine's episode I saw was when O'Gara was on and he made a comment. He <laughs> regretted. It was not what I expected this year. So a few years ago, it was like, Everyone's had quite a few glasses of wine before they go on. You kind of know what to expect. Yeah. This year they pulled at the heartstrings. They had an elderly couple renew their vows with Ryan Tuberty renewing the vows as part of the show. Okay. I was not expecting Joe this emotional roller coaster, okay. Joe. I was thinking, I'm here to a bit of a laugh at the people who are trying to, you know, do blind date style things. And next thing they're going, with this wonderful couple who met first 50 years ago and lovely inserts from their families and why they should be given a free holiday. I just was not ready for it. That's nice. So maybe that could be you next year. I'd like you to bring back uh, when this happens, when you get to the late show. Uh, I'm in talks. Do, do, you the, um, do you remember the Inventions <laughs> episode? Do they still do that? I don't know. So Gayburn used to the people bring out their inventions and show you kind of like uh, it's, a, it's like a, a small business sort of thing in the RDS or something like that. But uh, it was on the show every year. And it was one of them was they showed uh, Jumber Steyer at the stairs. Mm, yeah. There's people of them all over the place. But they advertised, honestly, they were on the show in like maybe 1992 or something like that and advertised possibly even to this day, but certainly up until very recently as, as seen on the Late Late Show. 
<laughs> which I loved and still love to this day. Yeah. But anyway, bring back the inventions episode as well. And then I, I have low, can I come with you? Yeah. EP. Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll negotiate another time. We'll wait till the ad break. How will you work with the RTE heads? <laughs> well, I'll have You're to get the. Uh, You're not well, we're not going to be going when in our in our late late show. We won't be going down to the canteen on a Friday morning. Well, I may have made some questionable tweets. Yeah, you, you <laughs> will need to make sure several slight tangent episodes have been deleted. This is this is, this is slander, lads. <laughs> the Orty like, corner honestly. with Mike McCarthy. <laughs> this is slander <laughs> and, and wrong and false. Uh, well, I see Miriam has withdrawn her name. That's the breaking news today. <laughs> yep, yeah. we're down to you. Claire, Tommy Tiernan, and Marty. Brendan O'Connor, not Brendan O'Connor, strong yeah. candidate. Yeah. I would lean towards Brendan, I have to say. Just because of his experience or voice? I think he's very good. Yeah. So Marty, Brendan, Claire Byrne, Me, Tommy Tiernan, and you. Hell of a lineup. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't, I mean, Tommy's, Jared Gilroy. Tommy's too suited to what he's doing. I, I know, but I I think make, they'll want them to do it. But, but you can't make Tommy interview someone like from Carnation Street on the publicity bus. Or someone from the camera. Whereas you, you'll do that. <laughs> Drop a hat. How much? I'll do it. Someone in the canteen is a book. Uh, good morning slash afternoon, lads, is the next email in. Short email, which we appreciate. I, I would say there are one or two emails which have been too high in the word count for us to read out um, of late. So just bear I, that in mind. I like them being thoughtful. We, we can do the editing. It's just that we have to do it earlier than we've done it. It's uh, more our fault, I would say. Keep the thoughtful emails coming in. Okay, fair point. Is it a requirement for the Irish team's ultimate success to have a Northern English coach at the helm? Cheers. And has Andy Farrell attained the honorary Irishman title yet? It is quite something, isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy. Second part first, he definitely has attained a huge amount of love. Even he saw the amount of people who were enjoying the fact that Owen Farrell was unaware that his son Tommy was at the captain's run last Friday and that Andy Farrell continually brings up that he's trying to sneak them into Irish shirts. I was next to his son at the game. He was wearing an English jersey. Spotted that in the picture too. But obviously he didn't win. But half green scarf, half English scarf. And I think one of Andy Farrell's other sons was wearing an Ireland shirt. Grandsons? Sons? I think it was his son. Oh, I see. Okay. So there was definitely mixed family loyalties in the picture I saw the How family picture. How old is picture. his son? There's a chance he could be like most of his formative years in Ireland anyway. I'd imagine probably quite a few, yeah. I think, did he play a bit of Gaelic football I think, with Nafina as well or at least that was sure. talked about. I think Philly McMahon brought that up that Andy Farrell had his young lad up at Nafina for a while. Again, I don't know how far he's played but he oh, definitely, I did read that, yeah. definitely did a bit of Gaelic football there. What is it about the Northern Englishmen that get into our cells? Accents. I mean... A red card. Yeah. <laughs> <The> old Farrell. <laughs> yeah, Andy Farrell has a great accent. The old Farrell's wicked accent, I think, takes it to a new level. Is it it's a red card? <laughs> just, that was my favourite moment of the match. amazing. Red <laughs> <It was> so <laughs> card. Red card. But, uh, yeah, no, I thought, like, is this a, it's not a serious question, but to give it, like, in, in, in somewhat a way, I do, I do think that there is a, and it's not just an emigration you know, the historical emigration thing. I think there's a natural kinship between the north of England and Ireland that would go to, maybe it's a, I don't know if it's a, is it a working class thing or is it a, something like that. It feels like we are very much akin to mm. people in the north of England more so than the south, I it would does. say. Yeah. yeah, it does. Very much so. Scotland, northern England... And maybe the valleys of Wales and Ireland is, I think, probably yeah. so basically someone from the southeast of England not welcome. I didn't say anything about welcome. 
kinship. I'm Maybe saying, why, what is it about these guys? And they'll say that that might have something to do with it. I don't know if Farrell and Charlton have loads in common, but certainly there is a a kind of a, a, a straight talking straightforwardness to their communication. Charlton way more gruffer. Andy actually quite nice and pleasant and almost um, demure at times and, and kind of shy at times. But I don't uh, think he has anywhere close to the ego of Charlton. Probably not. But but also speaks in very plain uh, language, digestible to the masses. Um, something kind of appealing about that, I think, as well. Players, players devoted to them I think in a very similar way yeah. even if they're different characters true yeah creating a, a, a fun environment mm. yeah what's his background actually just out of interest because he played in the league for an awful long time so that was professional and then would have went into union as a professional he, has he just all time wrote, as opposed to like 16 where there would have been like it was Josh Schmidt had a teach, teaching background yeah. didn't he mm. yeah. like he started playing professionally for Wigan when he was 16 he played for England or Great Britain, I'm not sure 17. when he was 18. Yeah. Was it 17? Youngest right. captain at 21. Yeah. Man and of Steel award. I remember, I remember watching like when the Super League started, I remember like Andy Farrell. <laughs> Pete's was, like, Star, Man yeah. of Steel is a real award. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he'd be it's, playing, he would have been playing on teams for Wigan like with Sean Edwards and all. Like, yes. I mean, he's around, he was so long because he's a young enough guy now, but like he's been kind of in the professional rank for like what I find years. interesting is that that's he went quite to Union, played for England. It's yeah. relatively unique, I presume, in rugby, in rugby union, to actually have someone who has just spent their whole life in rugby. For someone his age, yeah. Yeah, like it's yeah. just even, yeah. like it just wouldn't. Matt Williams, who watches that league, would tell you that, and everyone who's watched him uh, would say it, but Matt says he's like phenomenal. <laughs> like phenomenal. And then a good union player, but it's very hard yeah. to make the switch. So he famously played in the Crow Park game. For England, he had switched at that stage, but uh, league was where he was a phenom. So why did he move? I wonder. Money, I would money, think. Yeah, yeah. Money, yeah, would have been better. Yeah, by that stage, yeah, once once the mid two thousands kind of came around, there was there wasn't any comparison really. Uh, can I ask you, Arthur, about Saturday? Because I don't think you live and die by the, whether Ireland win a rugby match or not. That's just not where your head's at. Wouldn't uh, it? Yeah. What was it about Saturday, if anything? And it's okay if it did nothing for you. What was it about Saturday that uh, affected you or, or moved you or, or, or grabbed you? Yeah, no, look, the, the fate of the, the, the team and the sport doesn't really do anything to me because it's never been a part of my life, so that's fine. But um, I don't wish them any ill. I, that's, <laughs> that should also be stated. Like, yeah. I think indifference doesn't mean negativity. Yeah. But um, I was thrilled for Farrell and there's something that's just very alluring about Sexton. Sexton sort of, for me, sort of transcends it a bit. He doesn't... It's not like I don't I don't know him I don't I couldn't pretend to know him or what he's like or anything like that but there's just that impression he gives off there's just there's something sort of captivating there he's in that same sort of mold as it's not like there's he doesn't seem to be anything like say Roy Keane to take the most venerated example of this but there is that sort of singularity of will and character whereas and the 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 brilliant thing with him is the fact that he's paired and set up within a team and an institution that's kind of fully backs it and gets to bring the very best out of him then, because that's probably what we, that's kind of probably always been Ireland's problem to a certain degree, that like you have, if even if you have these really special individuals that you've probably never had to this degree as facilitate, as a, as a yeah. surrounding them that could facilitate them. Yeah. I don't know, I'm only thinking of that now, but that's probably, I mean, because we see what's exemplified, like Roy Keane and Man United, for instance, taken on to another level. But yeah, I guess that, that might be true. And at what stage in Sexton's career did you hop aboard that bandwagon? 
Don't know. Probably only like because you'll if you'll remember if you'll think about it. All my consumption of rugby comes from being here. And it's a lot of rugby. Watching, <laughs> watching a lot of rugby <laughs> covers. Like I see an awful lot more rugby covers than I see rugby. If you know what I mean. Yes. Um, and it's just I think when you in the last few years, particularly when people start, it maybe something in the whole way the the the, the sex and Carberry situation played out. No ill will towards Joey Carberry whatsoever, but the fact that at certain maybe four years ago I'd say it was kind of locked on that this was Joey Carberry's and this was just a matter of time, and now. Johnny Sexton again not that it was ever a one off thing between the two of them but he just saw that off and I think it probably created an extra layer to the mythicism around him that it's like he, he's gone way beyond what especially four years ago what anyone was talking about he could do Yeah, he's gone way beyond well, that I even saw yesterday for instance Bernard Jackman said he's Ireland's greatest rugby player of all time um Jamie Heaslip, I feel, has said that as well. And that's now like this live conversation, which it would not have been if he had hung up his boots four years ago. So in that respect, what it, what the last four years has done to his legacy as a player is kind of very striking that these conversations are now happening. I never thought we'd be having debates about O'Driscoll versus anyone for a very long time. And suddenly it's somebody O'Driscoll even played with, which is yeah. quite something. And then the other point on Sexton and his personality, and I, I did draw the parallel to Andy Murray yesterday on Monday Night Rugby. For me, Murray was like this slow burner. I always loved Sexton from day one. I felt like I got him from day one, liked him and, and was with him from, uh, you know, when he was he was bursting to get on ahead of Contepomi for Leinster. Uh, but I, I do feel a bit like Murray. People have got to know his slightly authentic to the point of gruff. I'm not going to be a, a performer in the media persona and have come to love him for it in the way that people love Murray. When I first came across Andy Murray, I thought, can't be dealing with this <laughs> level of, of uh, you know, truculence. It was like Hugh Grant-esque at the Oscars. Uh, <laughs> just gives a Not smile again. on centre court. And over time, I've come to love Murray than pretty much any tennis player in history and, and hold him in the similar kind of regard for Sexton. Just that singularity is a good word of purpose and personality to match and Honestly, in the stadium, I suspect it was it was very apparent in television. It felt as much about Sexton as about Ireland winning a Grand Slam, which is unbelievable, really. I think, really. I think yeah. that's proper. I think that's maybe that's not the case if Ireland hadn't won a Grand Slam relatively recent memory. Like, um, perhaps it's not then because I do feel there's a sense with this guy, and you, you'll be better placed to tell me if it's the same thing. I suppose when. Uh, O'Driscoll retired as the nearest example of that but there is a kind of sense of when he's gone he's gone and all like all due respect to anyone who comes after him I mean it's kind of hilarious the fact that O'Gara goes and it's like you get this guy after him who takes it to another level you could say yeah. that's realistically that's not happening again yeah yeah. and that's that's a re- you know what I mean like it's the, Ireland will have to change because he's gone rather than they will you know O'Gara went so suddenly as well by comparison like you can't always write your own story when you're on the way out but we knew that Brian Adristo was coming into the last year of his career he had been very open it was going to be his last Six Nations Championship while O'Gara didn't get faded around the Aviva because we didn't know that it was coming up to the point that O'Gara's career was about to come to an end well in this case Johnny Sexton has earmarked a year out that the World Cup is going to be the end of his international career at least uh, most likely it's going to be the end of his Leinster career as well but you've got a guy who's going out at the very top of his game undisputed best out half in the country yeah. at the moment. He's not battling for his place. Exactly, I don't think yeah. there's any danger that he wouldn't be the best player uh, for that position right now and across the out halves we're playing. And it's funny, I'd always 
I dread it. But I, I, I you know, sometimes you, you're thinking about different things. And I, I, it had occurred to me a couple of years ago that I wouldn't enjoy doing this job or being in a virgin studio and having to turn around to various pundits and say, come on now, Sexton Time's needs to be up. dropped. He needs to be taken out of the team, doesn't he? We need, like, Ireland are better without Sexton. Because that Raj Sexton thing, you had to talk down Raj if you wanted Sexton in or vice versa. Sexton, Humphreys. We have this obsession with yeah. who's the best. So, but I just would have assumed, well, it's, it's inevitable. Johnny's not going to want to go easily. But it's impossible that he's not going to need to be dropped before the next World Cup when he's 37. Mm. That's going to be a not fun six months in this job. Yeah. And, here, and actually it's turned into the opposite. It's been the greatest victory lap ever. But if you go back to the lines, like I still think, and we won't relitigate it, but I still think Gatlin not bringing Sexton is one of the most ludicrous decisions of all time. So, like, does, and, yeah. and so does Gatlin at this stage. He, he possibly does. I don't know. I imagine. Now, you still see a lot of Irish people defending it. And, and, and one of the reasons is that Sexton wasn't informed. Now, I absolutely dispute that his form still didn't make him a better out half than... Dan Bigger or you know what I mean he absolutely at the very least on the plane right I still think even on his worst day he's a better player than Finn Russell whatever right he should have been on the tour okay but the fact that you were a, he could justify not bringing him shows you Sexton has got better in the last two or three years mm. like he has become I don't know whether it's smartness or whether it's adaptation to the game or whether he's leading the change in the game, which I do. You know, I'm the, I think so much of him in some ways that I almost think he is capable of that. You know, of like changing how an attack or you know uh, is structured in the game of rugby. But he has gone to a new level as opposed to he's not even hanging on. To your point, you know, it's like it's not even that everybody else has fallen away. It's like Sexton has risen it. Mm. It's unbelievable at his age. Yeah, so much fact. so that we're all arguing about whether he should go after the World Cup or not, as opposed to whether he'll make the World Cup. He shouldn't go, but anyway, uh, he should. Is I'm interested, and it's no reflection on Sexton, but have the people around him gotten worse or stagnant in terms of like, if you were to pick that Lions team now? So it's we're f- when was that twenty. 20- 21 one. so we're like whatever it's only 18 months on but like the same people are still in the same positions but still on Farrell it's still, it's still Russell and bigger it's yeah. still bigger like is that is that not a bit odd at the same time like I don't know what that is indicative of good generation anything. but like is it just it's, you know it's like Dan Bigger's a good there. player I didn't mean to be you know dismissive of him or whatever you know and he's won a lot in his career as well like it is it's a good generation I think actually rather than it necessarily stagnating but you look at someone who they're they're expecting big things from like Marcus Smith, for example, and it's like don't necessarily see it. It's not. It's. I don't think it's a given that every generation is going to be better than the previous one. Mm. You know, what did we think of Saturday generally? Nervy performance for the first half, probably until the last twenty-five minutes, where Ireland played well, yeah. but in a way, kind of expected that that was going to happen. Um, two factors: you had England, obviously, were trying to get a response, and when you saw. Uh, Maru Otaji and Van Portfleet particularly celebrating every single turnover, every single penalty that they got. It was very important for England after shipping 50 points the week before to put in a credible performance at the Aviva. And Ireland definitely, I think, with the offloads and with some of the handling errors that happened in the first half particularly, you could tell there was a nervy feeling. And, and you were in the stadium, Joe. Like There was a nervy enough feeling about the crowd, I think, up until about five or six minutes before half time. I would have said quiet more than nervy. I never really felt anyone thought... In a, in a serious way like that 
that England were going to win. When we couldn't get a grip of things at all for 10-9 for that that long period after they made a 10-9. I was very nervous and I just assumed I was getting that from, I was getting it from the Virgin commentary team and I felt like it was coming true from the stadium. That's fair actually, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go along with that. It did cross my mind, is this going to be one of those days? But, like the the millisecond Henshaw went over, you went, yeah. oh, okay, of course. Oh yeah, oh, there was never yeah, a doubt fine. from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quiet. It was quieter during the game than I thought it was going to be because the atmosphere was extraordinary pre-game, like really extraordinary. So I half wondered, could that be like, was there a, must have been a big corporate element there because it was such an occasion, and so pre-match everybody's into it because it's the pageantry and that's easy to get on board with. But somehow, I don't know, at certain moments, certain carries, I thought there'd be more from the crowd. Yeah, maybe they were nervy maybe it's not the corporate element it's not the first that? game of this championship though Joe you think back to the France game where a lot of French people got tickets there were very few English people in the stadium on Saturday just gone by but at different times when Ireland needed to raise their game the Aviva was pretty quiet and the French fans had taken over in that game as well yeah. so this isn't a problem that began at the weekend just gone by mm. and sometimes look it's up to the team to inspire the supporters again to it because definitely after the Henshaw try the noise started to come up and the expectation was that Ireland were about to make history yeah. but at different times when England had got a little bit of a foothold and Farrell's kicking points in the first half that's possibly when you need the crowd to get behind the team more so than in the second half when it yeah, becomes no, a bit it's, of a cakewalk it's very true it's very true um, it's hard to judge to what extent it is corporate or to what extent it was nerves I mean you'd need to do a census of who was there it was a bit affected no the, the, the nerve part like I, I'm not to Paris. What um, Brian Driscoll was saying as well. Like Ireland were never losing that match. They were never going to lose it. Like it was never. There was that type of thing. Almost like we should be nervous now. But it's like, even I could see like the balance of play was never. It's an eighty-minute match. Like and, and England, sort of sh- took their shot. And it, you know, what? How far ahead were they at any point? Six points from two yeah. kicks. Yeah. On uh, the celebrations, though, celebrations you're, you're asking about what yeah. the day, what yeah. we took from the day. Of course, of the day. Yeah. I was very appreciative I suppose that we were celebrating a Grand Slam for what it was and I feel like the, the World Cup was parked a little bit and yeah, I, I think now we can start talking about the World Cup and what platform we have set ourselves but we haven't had too many days in this history and it's a bigger problem with sport in general I think is that we can't enjoy things for what they are we always have to be talking about the biggest things mm. rather than the bigger things or the big things you know and it's like this was a massive thing it is one of the most important tournaments in all of Irish sport and we have a shite record over it mm. for hundreds of years you know 150 years or whatever we've done absolutely nothing in it until recently and now even a championship shouldn't be taken lightly but a Grand Slam is its own thing and I did feel like everybody was on board with the proper story I, totally I heard very that. little yeah. about the World Cup on Saturday yeah. and I thought the players enjoyed it for what it was as well yeah you have verbalised what was in my head. Yeah, that, I was like, why was it so bloody enjoyable? And it was yeah. possibly because it was just, let's enjoy for this. Itself. <laughs> yeah. Next for itself. Next own. It's yeah. not, what does this mean for the World Cup? And what does yeah. that mean for the World Cup? You, you can't now, enjoy beating England on St. Patrick's weekend to win a Grand Slam and then for the 20s to follow that up a little bit under 24 hours does, later. If you can't enjoy that, what's the point of being a sports fan? Does St. Patrick's weekend matter to you that much? I think the fact it was a bank holiday weekend, it gave a long lead in. I, to I even well. found myself going, even I was like, and it's on St. Patrick's, and in we my beat, head I was we thinking. We beat them on St. Patrick's Day a few yeah. years ago to win the Grand was, Slam, and I'd forgotten that I, up until this week when I was making a montage. Even <laughs> as I was saying it, like in intros on Saturday, I was like, ah, St. Was, Patrick's thing. It matters bit. more for the other countries, I think, to talk about Ireland than it does for us. Yeah. 
Did it be- I don't know. I think I, there was a bit of a buzz going into it. We, and so you were like, and it's on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I wasn't quite fist pumping now, but like. <laughs> I was wearing my shamrock yesterday. And you know what I mean? New shamrocks just, tomorrow. I've got my new Republic of Ireland socks ready with the big shamrock on. This is all something that we say, but actually, if we examine our own inner sense of what's going on. Like Did anybody see the pictures of uh, Will and Kate, our old mates, uh, with their um, St. Patrick's Day get up? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you meant him. <laughs> No, no. no, Prince William and uh, ah, right. the Prince of Wales and I are not so, connected. Okay. Not uh, the OTB. Kate, Kate Middleton was wearing an Aer Lingus costume, basically, <laughs> with uh, a big, huge shamrock on it. And uh, Prince William was wearing his army gear, or whatever it is that he does, his military gear, with a helmet or a cap, sorry, a cap, with this massive piece of shamrock, shamrock. right in the middle of the front. Is this because the Irish it Guards? Was, it was one of, yeah, the Irish Irish guards, it was one yeah. of those ludicrous things I've ever seen in my life. But anyway, happy St. Patrick's Week to everybody. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll take a break. We are back in uh, just a moment. A slight tangent is continuing myself and Mick and Prince William and Arthur. Back in one <laughs> sec. You're very welcome back. A slight tangent continuing here on Off the Ball this evening, lads. Uh, topic for slight tangent is Formula One all a card? In my opinion, they should all be driving the same car. Then you'd really know who the best driver is. The best driver, as it is now, may be driving an inferior car, so we'll never have a chance of competing, says Mick in Cork. I, as a non-Formula One fan, agree with that take. Nah. I mean, it's as Why? much to do... Like, no more than horse racing, isn't it, isn't it as much to do with manufacturing the car? Oh, as it way is. more even, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's not just a case of... Uh, I always find that a frustration with horse racing as well, that it's very hard to judge a jockey's skill given different horses. But at least they're not stuck on the same horse around 18 different tracks over a calendar year. They get good horses and indifferent horses and bad horses. <laughs> I think if you're in a bad car... <laughs> but right now... an indifferent horse. <laughs> right now, if you're not in a Red Bull, I don't think you can win the World Championship. I don't think if you're in a Red Bull or a Ferrari you have much of a chance of winning the race. Yeah. and made, like, it was like Lewis Hamilton won 150 world championships. He's not any worse of a driver and now he's finishing fifth yeah, every race. it's completely Do you rigged. know what I mean? It is like, it's, it's rigged, I think, is the thing. There is, there is competition between, like on certain years, I think, in some ways, yeah. between cars and, that are of sorry, a similar they pace. Are the, they are the best years. Yeah. When you have Hamilton versus Verstappen, and it's like, OK, let's the, the car seem to be performing reasonably similarly. Let's see who the best driver is. Sign me up. Yeah. But to watch Lewis now. And even then, it's still very week. much like, oh, Mercedes have the advantage around here. And it's sort of, you know, going into the weekend that like it's probably like three years that are yeah. genuine competitions or you're waiting on crashes or pit stops. Is or there not something even for uh, racing fans like very uh, like demoralising about the first race of the season when it becomes apparent that uh, Red Bull are the best car and Mercedes have fallen back and it's like okay here we go for 12 months of a preordained victory yeah. well it's a bit depressing to hear Total Wolf saying it could be one to two years before Mercedes are able to compete again and he says that maybe Lewis Hamilton might actually sign a short term contract because he realises he doesn't have all that long left and maybe Mercedes can't compete but, but why are you dismissive of the idea just as a matter <sighs> because of because you know about it and you're immediately like no yeah. so why are you a Formula 1 fan no like I'm a fan but I'm I wouldn't be sports. yeah but I would like <laughs> I wouldn't be one of those complete and utter Formula 1 nerds who would know the exact ins and outs of the engine changes that have been made or the dynamic changes that have been made by a team during the summer. There's some people who follow that religiously. It's like NFL fans who watch the draft and know everyone coming out of college and would be able to tell you who's going to go in the first round. In Formula 1, though, the constructor side of it is actually 
pretty interesting too. The idea that they're competing to have a slightly better car, timing the times that they make technological changes to their car as well, adds another tactical element to the title race. Admittedly, this year it could be just Verstappen winning by a complete country mile. And it was a little bit dispiriting that last weekend he was way down the grid and he was still able to get back to second place. And part of that is down to the fact that Red Bull have created a remarkable car and the others are playing catch-up at the moment. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah. Like even back in the day when there was dominant teams, if you something screwed up and you were 17th on the grid, you weren't winning the race. Now you expect them to. You expect them to get back up like Arthur you know. Akkad. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Arthur yeah. went absolutely nuts on that. I've never seen him so angry when he was asked the Formula One question on crappy the crappy quiz. Why? He said it wasn't the sport and went into, went into like an almighty rant. Like. It was a joke question, Joe. It was stitched up. It was named the name. It was the past the parcel round where everyone goes around to to, to people. Name everyone a constructor gets from the It was named the constru- name constructors from the nineteen nineties. I mean, pretty reasonable question. Jordan, <laughs> McLaren, Ferrari. Ah, that's an okay question. <laughs> then, then it's not a card because they're they're obviously what stuck with you. Well, <laughs> go off Minardi. and watch a series racing, Joe. If you want to watch everyone in the same car going around the track at the same time. And what's the problem with it? I don't know. Look, I mean, you're going to find the best driver. I like that that's the angle you're coming from here. Yeah. But part of the point of Formula One is that these teams are competing to be better than each other as a team and to provide the best car for their driver. Mm. That adds to me just an extra element to it. That's yeah, not there. Are if team it's fans car. sometimes more than oh, necessarily driver fans, which is, it's, you know, there is an element of interest in that. The A1, is it A1? I can't remember. I, I only remember because Ireland were in series, it one time. Yeah. It was like an international tournament. Right. And... I think Sky had it for a while before they went to Holland on Formula One, and <laughs> wise choice. Yeah, I think they did make the wise choice, but they tried to <laughs> they tried to pick up A One for a while again. If it was called A One, I can't uh, remember. I think it was A One was uh, the one where the same battery same it engine. Was, so, yeah, yeah, so it was A One. <laughs> but anyway, it was like it was very random because all these people would be on a similar level. So you wouldn't know what would happen from one race to another. So there's almost almost no intrigue whatsoever then you you almost need a hierarchy in a way okay, there's and no, these no people, pattern to anyone almost as far as I remember yeah I wasn't really watching it <laughs> you need you need um, you need guys to you need guys to almost earn those top spots in a way to get to that point and then go and say right it's Verstappen is the is the guy at the moment you know? and I bet if you asked anyone who was in that A1 series back in the day uh-huh. what they want to do I want to drive a Formula 1 oh, well, that's because that's money I, I get and that. fame and yeah prestige and history yeah of course yeah but that doesn't mean it wouldn't be turn all of that from Formula 1 and then just say right you're on the same car imagine turning around to Red Bull and saying you have to use the exact same car as Mercedes let's see who's the best driver well done on all that tech you've done I guess it depends (laughs) it does render a lot of done on all that tech let's see what kind of juice Bernie Eccleston still has is he he still running probably it does render a lot of people worthless doesn't it (laughs) yeah jobs could right. your engineers can go elsewhere it depends what perspective you look at it I look at it from the driver's perspective I'm interested in the drivers whereas I look I get the tech people might be interested in the tech (laughs) most of the tech people don't understand what they're talking about (laughs) I think you want to change the sport for something you would never sit down and actually watch or you might watch it one week and go geez maybe they shouldn't have made that change is NASCAR all the same car I know they're not the same I mean I suppose there's less variations in what they can do with it it's just engines and they're also going around a donut ring that's what I mean but it's boring isn't it I'm I'm not advocating the same ring okay on uh, Indifferent Horses, did you guys watch much of Cheltenham? I saw a good bit. I thought we were talking during the week and we thought the coverage is brilliant. Looks so good. Yeah. But certainly I was watching on Friday and it was very apparent in the Gold Cup that we had we had touched on the nervousness around racing in the UK. And when a horse went down in the Gold Cup, 
it was like this shadow. You could almost hear it, the commentary team saying, oh, he's back. It's a bad fall. Like think things back in his feet. It was like a shadow over the finish of the Gold Cup and then almost the relief in all concerns voices when they were able to say, that horse is okay. That horse is okay. And I dare say 10 years ago, it wouldn't have been as much of a feature of the post-race. They would have certainly remarked upon the fact, hey, good news, by the way, that horse is okay. But it was, you know, and just to say again, and just to say again, so-and-so is okay. Um, Combine it, Joe, with the fact there were inserts on this throughout the week on various different topics, which I think was trying to appeal to the naysayers who probably wouldn't be sitting down to watch Sheldon. Yeah, I saw a few of them. It was the guy from Love Island doing them. Yeah. They sent him out to do them all. I knew you'd recognise him. (laughs) Which guy? Chris. Yeah, he was friends with Kem. Why did I ask? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know you said that with a certain <laughs> effect. That went, he could have said any Ken, name under the sun. I would have been awful. Well, it was Chris and Kem. So they had him doing, you know, the, the clerk on uh, the safety protocol, which are top top, and they were they looking at the climate control measures. Sustainable. It's green. Yeah. It's a green festival. All that kind of stuff. So, very, I bet, very I bet most racing fans don't care, Joe. No, they don't about those slots. No. Okay, can I just? There's an element of like are they being defensive, but in some ways, is why are they? So if they're talking about like, is the horse okay? Is there an element of like, I think our assumption here is like you know they didn't used to care about that. Now they're only caring. Yeah, I don't it. mean to say that. I no, I, but I wonder is it because it was unspoken? Like uh, racing people, you know, horse people love the animals, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm not. I'm not saying this is true or not true. I'm just saying that that would be. I'd say, I. I would imagine uh, certainly where they're coming from, and of course, any loss is a tragedy or anything like that. So it's like we don't have to make a big deal of it because that's naturally how we feel. Whereas now, I feel like they're under siege in some ways, and almost have to make a spectacle. Yeah. Over you know protesting almost too much on something that I think comes naturally on its oh, that's own. That's my point. I, I absolutely agree. It comes naturally. These people love horses in the main and see them very much as Not saying beautiful animals. Anything, yeah, yeah there, are, look, there are serious ills. Bad actors, yeah. It's, but uh, I thought the, the kind of, uh, like the desperation to like mention it and keep mentioning it is just a symptom of what we had discussed, which is racing, especially in the UK, is under siege. Mm. Yeah. From who? Definitely the whip controversy at the moment. Uh, the general public, yeah. increasingly. I don't. Know, I'm not trying. To, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I'm just curious what um, uh, generally sentiment, can, we, public we, sentiment. Yeah, there's some sort of partisanship. I, le- I think there's less tolerance for using animals for our sport. You know, I think in general, and I think we could have arguments about how horses are treated, and you know, you have to say, like you can have this lovely image in your head of every horse being treated like a king and being looked after to the nth degree and all they have to do for it is go out racing and yeah. go on the gallops and you know and that's all but like you know they're the winning horses read read Paul Kimmage's piece a few weeks ago right and then tell me that deep down inside you didn't know that was happening hmm. in certain places you know yeah not everywhere by any means and before any of us get too high on our horse pun intended like if you stop any of us in a supermarket with our uh, plastic wrapped chicken fillets or meat and say how do you think this animal or like the countless animals like it were treated would yeah. you bet your life it was all good would you bet your life so I'd bet my life the opposite to be yeah. honest for most of it for, yeah. for at least 90% yeah uh, so we compartmentalise that as well uh-huh. like we're a fairly vicious species on that front okay yeah Just, yeah but I think no, I like, you know, you. I because I think anyone's entitled to say okay you're very concerned about horses but 
I suppose we can't all be held to a kind of a... I suppose nothing ever improves if you're going to be a hypocrite for everything that you have a problem with. You know, like, I mean, it, it's it, there is compartmentalization there, of course there is, but, like, is it not okay to have an issue with... And I, I actually don't have an issue with horse racing. I, You know, I think there's problems I would love to see fixed and so on, but I'm not, like, against the idea of it. Mm. But if I did, I don't think I have to back that up by... Being a vegetarian. Being a vegetarian or having, you know, my issue with the meat industry. I just think that, you know, obviously we'd all like a perfect world, but you'd probably do pick and choose in a very natural way. It doesn't make you wrong mm. in the prob- thing you have a problem with. Uh, there's an email in on the cost of tickets for these two Republic of Ireland games, which I'm going to come to in just one moment. Slight tangent back in a sec. Connor says, is winning the Grand Slam in a World Cup year not totally overrated considering three teams in it are terrible? There was one average team and two good teams. We've had lots of World Cup years before, Joe. Mm. Like, there's all it's truth to it. terrible. That's, there's all truth to it. There mm-hmm. is. We have to be realistic about it. It's a very small pool and if you're peaking when everyone else is kind of on a bit of a downturn, yeah. things can happen. It doesn't make it any less valuable within what it's in. but That's true. It is a hard thing to do though. It is It is generally five or maybe four teams that are on a very similar level yeah. over, you know, and obviously one or two will go down. But it is hard to win all of those games and that's why it isn't done that much. Like I said to you, like since the Six Nations happened, it's like the, the numbers are insane. It's like England have won more than France and Wales and then Ireland next. And then like Scotland and Italy obviously haven't won any. So if you take it, I think it's seven, six, six and five in terms of championships. And then even in Grand Slams, England are at the bottom of that, even though they're at the top of the championships. And it's like Ireland have three, France have three, Wales have three, France have four, I think, and, and England have two. So it's like it's um, the Six Nations is incredibly even, you know what I mean, across the board, and it is hard to do all that. There's a reason it's so lauded. I'm not. I don't think it's just one of those internal rugby things. There was an email sent in by a Shane Harris. I'm just dropping you an email to ask why nobody is talking about the ridiculous prices the FAI are charging for tickets to the upcoming Ireland games. These being the Latvia game tomorrow and France on Monday. I went to Ticketmaster and if I was to bring my two kids to both games, it's costing 544 euro. There's no option for a children's ticket. It is scandalous that they're looking for that kind of money. 544 euro, three people. Yeah, the thing that the tie, I appreciate why they're doing it. And even you appreciate why we know today that Evan Ferguson's starting tomorrow in terms of that match. And, you know, they want people to go to the games that nobody really wants to go to. But that's, it's, oh. it's, it's not fair. Like, it's not, it's, too it's, much it's not fair. It's really not. It, like, and like, they will argue, as the IRFU do, um, that you want to go to an Elton John concert. What are you paying? You want to do anything. It's expensive and... Uh, what's more, market forces would suggest is more than enough appetite for attendance at these prices. But there is something increasingly, I mean, I, I touched on maybe that corporate aspect to Saturday. There is something that is lamentable about the fact that so many uh, what you get? regular people, yeah. hardworking We're in the middle uh, of a cost people, of living crisis, Joe. Yeah, so are, are like yeah. almost being told well sport sport, sport is sort of now a luxury beyond you whereas a generation ago it wasn't what was like to bring it back to northern England for example you know in the 1970s and 80s what was a working class person's outlet 
you know, a couple of pounds to go into the terrace and go and see Liverpool or United or whoever. And, like, those days are so far gone that, like, a season ticket now is, like, that is your, that is your, like, savings. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you keeping up your season ticket is such a cost. And by the way, that's as cheap as you'll get it. To just go to a game, yeah. to just want to go to a match here and there and be a bit of a supporter is on... And then you take... And it's worse than international level. Well, on these games, by the way, do we know, were there children's tickets which were obviously no longer available when Shane went to get them? Or do we know? I don't know, but there generally are. There's, there's a schoolboy yeah. allocation, yeah, for sure. Now, I don't know exactly how those works. Like, in the past, there's been issues where, like, that's you can't go as a family with schoolboy tickets because they're in a section and so on. So yeah. I'm not exactly sure how that works now. But we just had a look on Ticketmaster there a few minutes ago. It was, like, €175 Euro was the best price for a uh, ticket for both games. You're basically buying both sure, games. That's not sold out yet, the France game. Uh, no, you can still you can still get tickets. Well, as yeah. of a few minutes ago, anyway. Yeah, um, I, I think it was one twenty a few weeks ago. That was the early bird price. I think if you were looking for the seats, but those seats are probably gone now. So I think anybody who's got all the normal worries we all have is looking at one seven five for two matches and saying, Not "You're a okay." I'll watch that no. now. Plus two trips to Dublin to go to the matches as well, and the costs associated around that. Oh, if you, oh, sure. There's, yes, if, you, if you're coming from anywhere else, <laughs> yeah, forget about you're, you're finished. Thinking from a Dublin-centric yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, at you know, you're leaving the stadium at 10 o'clock on a weeknight. Don't ever forget that as well as how how much we have cut off most of the country from possibly uh, supporting the Irish soccer team who always play at night now as well. Like, And that's fine. Look, it has to happen yeah. that way and it's it's the way it is. Yeah. But that, it also is, it's another issue. No, but it's another thing that makes it more difficult to support. I've said the amount of time, then you go to Ireland match and that's what you see. You see family, you see like, you know, <coughs> parents and children and they're from Cork or whatever and you're thinking like, geez, what's ahead of them here? Like, you know, this is, how much does it cost? And it's a hotel, which is, if you can get one. Anyway, it's. I think there's. I think there's something very sad about it. I think what you're left with is, and whatever about the demand in rugby, the demand in football, except for maybe the France game, isn't that strong because you will see a lot of seats at the Aviva Stadium tomorrow night uh, for the Lafayette game. No matter, there'll be people who buy tickets who don't even go mm. just to get a ticket for the France game. So you know, I'm surprised France isn't why, sold out. Why are they so expensive? Because well, France would have sold out a lot quicker, Joe, if you could have bought a ticket for France in and of itself. Yeah. I would say a lot of people probably thought twice when it was, say, if it was going to be 175 for a ticket for both, you're thinking, will the FAI eventually cave in after the Lafayette game and sell a single ticket at that point? So you're obviously taking a risk that it could sell out before then, but maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe, obviously, they've had two years where they didn't have yeah, fans no, going through, that. so maybe they're Ireland, at, as they call Maybe they're at 95% uh, capacity, and so it's going to be fine. But visually, if this France game is not sold out, there's going to be a lot of questions asked. Yeah, I'm sure they get rid of those tickets. Stuff needs to be one way or another. Yeah, yeah I think I think they'll find a way to fill it. But I wonder about tomorrow. Do you keep doing that? It's not going to be many people buying your expensive tickets. Like, you will know? they be embarrassed into on Thursday morning announcing, "Oh, there's a special quotient of tickets for Monday suddenly on sale for 130 euro." Get them. All now. about how you how you sell it, Joe. You go a, a limited number of tickets have become available. Get them now. Yeah, <laughs> you just have to be careful about these things because, like, I mean, it's like if say if if kids if like. What that man paid for those tickets, I would not be able to pay, right? So when my kids are older and I can't, if I'm not, he's, go, if he's I'm not, not paying it, he's not doing it. Okay, he's sorry. Like, yeah. If I was to bring yeah. the two kids on myself, it's five hundred and forty-four euro. Yeah, 
and I have two kids and in about three, four years I would be hoping to take them to lots of different sport and it's all expensive by the way we shouldn't be singling yeah. out football but say if I want to bring them to Iron Match I do not have that money and I do not have that money to do five times a year for all the or however many home games we play in a year uh, maybe it's three different windows or whatever I just don't have it and I won't be and then when do my kids get what I had as a kid when I went to Lands End Road in the terrace in a much more affordable way and build that next generation of supporters it's all very well saying we had COVID and we're, we're down a few bob these things are important and they're, you have to think long term as well it's not just about how much money can we get in today like you know and rugby is in the exact same situation all the talk growth in rugby and people watching it and all this I don't even think about going to the Six Nations games anymore it doesn't even enter my head because unless I'm working or something like that and I have the opportunity to do it that way, the idea of trying to find a ticket and then forking out what will end up being about €200 Euro for it plus the cost of the day is ludicrous mm. for something that I can watch on a massive 55-inch uh, TV with, uh, you know, Cups Joe and the boys. Humble brag there. <laughs> But not everybody has that. What I mean, not everybody, but like right, you know, Mr. What, 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 inch TV over here. what I mean hell. is, you have HD television, no, much bigger. It's like you know, yeah. 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 Money comes these in things are important. I got 75 inch. These things, I watched the late show on it. These things are important, though, and it is. It is. I, I, the point you made there, which registered most with me, is the fact that. Lots of parents who would love to bring their kids to go to the games that we went as kids and like so formative. I don't think any of us are all sitting in this room, for instance, if we hadn't been brought to matches growing up or gone and, you know, had those formative experiences. And so you're pricing out so many of those people. Even on a week to week basis, Joe, 18 euro for Gaelic Games matches in the top flight is very expensive for someone who would go regularly. And, uh, you know, like I'm critical of the GAA around some of their marquee games. I think 18 euro is okay. I think it's very pricey. For a game. Yeah. But like a kid doesn't know the difference between league and championship and they're going along to see their heroes play. I, I think 18 euro. What, well, that's, that's, an, that's obviously an adult price. The kids tickets are a bit cheaper. Ah, come but. on. Would you stop? <laughs> I don't know if you're going they to your to, team. They have to turn on the floodlights. <laughs> what? I don't know. We can't <laughs> criticise the GA for 18 euro tickets. For a standard league game though, very different to going to a Six Nations match, which is a one-off occasion or say a yeah, big it adds up, you know. It does add up. You don't have to go to every game. Now, I look, I, 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 a, I appreciate, I appreciate, point. like, <laughs> there is a point where you have to say 18 euro is good value. I guess my point is, I've lots of mates who would go to games more regularly if they were priced a little bit cheaper. That that feels a bit saucy for them to go to matches. Particularly, as Mick and I have argued on this very would show. The, would these same mates drop multiples of that on a night out? <sighs> Be honest. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly or definitely? Ah, probably. But like... <laughs> but eight, 18 euro for games that no, we've been talking no, about, no, phony not, wars and all this I'm, kind of stuff. I'm not having 18. It's pricey. I'm They'll spend more than 18 euro on pints during that game. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not having 18. <laughs> which which provincial you, venue is serving pints during a game? Well, they're, going, they're getting them at half time or what before. Do you want an, an going adult, for the match. What do you want an adult league ticket down to? I think it should be down to a tenner. Great. I think it's more than reasonable. It does get expensive in like if you're going all the time. Just championship, like you're saying, right? Like thirty, I don't know what, like thirty five maybe for the um, terrace in the Munster Championship. Anyway, say for the hurling, and you know you're talking about fifty quid in the stands and all like that. You know you start, you do like, and this is more so than anything else. You almost bring 
um, families, you know, and but how much are the, how much are the really children's tickets? I like you could buy a season ticket. Yeah, on every week as well. Yeah, I, I think the you can as far as I know, I think it's seven for a kid's ticket if you. Well, you have to buy in advance now. This is down because they don't take yeah. uh, cash in the gates anyway. So I think it's yeah. I think OAPs and kids are seven for the top flight. I think they're five for the divisions below that. Open to correction by okay. a couple of euro there, but roughly that it still adds up and it still means there's lots of people thinking. But remember, the vast, vast, vast majority of games will not sell out in GA during the year. No, I hear you. So why not get a few more people in at a slightly lower price? And you think price stop people? I get. I get the point. I think it's if a bit you're going issue, every week, yeah. and especially if you're traveling around the country and paying for petrol, I get that. But yeah. if you want to pick two or three games, league games to go to, I think eight is like look how expensive everything is at the moment yeah but what about Will's point though that like GA stadiums are empty you know like even you know I mean you're looking at I I don't think that's a price issue I was looking at Cork no I don't think it is either but but, I mean you make up the difference in 10 euro tickets versus 18 euro tickets and if we knock them down to 10 or how many more people do you think I don't know I'm just I suppose it's worth looking into (laughs) it's worth it's worth the discussion (laughs) it's worth an experiment isn't it yeah (laughs) I'm not alone in this. I think I heard Liam Sheedy a couple of weeks ago saying the same, particularly for the hurling division one, whatever at the football where Ah, like they should be paying people to go to the hurling. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's but no, a, that's no. a farce. When teams are putting out second sides. We're so me and Will are allowed and Arthur are allowed to say it. You're not. That's yeah. a disgrace. <laughs> You're trying to attack the sport of hurling right now. We're gonna sorry, get defensive. I tuned in to their highlights and even Liam Sheedy and Don Logue were like, This is a disgrace. Yeah, and Joanne. <laughs> were you staying up until about twenty past eleven for the hurling highlights to start? Oh, this is the week as well. before. <laughs> I recorded them. I watched them Monday. Ah, fair enough. Yeah. The hurling pod. That's where I get my hurling. That's news. where you should get all of your action and you listen to. Watch them. We are oh out of time. Uh, I should just mention that. <laughs> you <laughs> to you were being seriously doubted. <laughs> five seconds. Braeburn Coffee, the official coffee partner of Off the Ball, uh, hundred euro voucher uh, to spend on some Braeburn Coffee goodness at Apple Green near you. If you want to enter, check it at Off the Ball on Twitter. Just like and retweet, and you're in the competition. AppleGreenStores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn Coffee experience. We are out of time. My thanks to Will and to Mick and to Arthur. That was a slight tangent.